kill you. Yeah, what's wrong with the beer we got? With me this evening is, is Jamie here? Right? Not yet. Okay. With me this evening is the very best producer I could ever hope to afford. Uh, and he's not charging me anything, so that's awesome. How are you this evening, Barry? I'm allowed to charge? Hang on a minute. Nobody you said could. that. Well, I never <laughs> said you couldn't charge me. I just said I couldn't afford it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, she needs a round, but it says it won't let her in the call, so I'll see if I can order. Okay. Ah, Skype. The joys. Skype is just amazing. I love whenever it has a massive update. It just makes everything for this program so much fun. Yeah. Um, especially for you. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it just loves playing games with the settings. And, and and sometimes it plays with Mixler settings as well. Yes, it does. Nothing's nicer than when it messes with your your sound settings. Yeah. Yeah. I have yeah. to auto adjust all of my sounds now, which is good. So yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, it's look not like connecting she's... with Genie. It huh. doesn't like Genie. Oh no. Not in love with Genie this week. So, um, I guess what I'll do is um, until Miss Genie comes. Ah. Out, uh, it's the it's that old problem. Okay. Yeah, there's a new version of Skype available. <laughs> Who's got to get it? She does. It, well, no, it's um, it's telling me I need it, so it oh. probably needs you need it as well. Because uh, oh. yeah, I, I don't let Scott Skype auto update. <laughs> yeah, well, um, does she have the new version? I don't that know. That might be why. Um. You want to hang up and restart, or...? Yeah, I'll hang up this call briefly, uh, restart, okay. and see if that helps. Okay. If not, we might have to do updates, which is yeah. a nuisance. Sorry, guys. What we can do about it. Sorry, guys. We'll be back shortly. Well, I'll still be on the air. Yeah. Well, you'll be the only one on the air. <laughs> yeah, right. So I'll try it and let you know. Hang on. Okay. Right, so I'm just going to exit Skype. No, that's down here. Where are you? 
Ah, computers, the joys. <laughs> yeah, Skype is hell wave fanatic. It just loves messing everything up. And try opening the call again. Well, we have John. Oh, yeah, we do. And oh my God, is that loud? Holy crap! Don't Hi. Know. I didn't. Well, yeah, I haven't looked to see if it changed the settings. I haven't updated, but I just uh, shut it down and restarted it. Oh yes, it's yeah. changed. It's changed the microphone settings. It's doing okay. the changing the volume without me telling it to thing again. Which is lovely. So I don't. I don't know if we're gonna get Jeannie tonight, y'all. Um, sorry about that. Uh, I say the the only thing is, <laughs> you'd have to install a new Skype. Probably after everybody, you'd have to restart their computers. Uh, uh, maybe she. Annoying. Maybe she should. Yeah. It's it's you know, there's a reason why we don't have phones, but <laughs> it does really kind of suck not being able to add people. Oh, I see Miss Jeannie. Hi. Yay. Yay. <laughs> it's Skype. It's Skype doing its marvelous thing again. You know, and we do a pre-show check, and everything seemed fine. So. Yeah, like me, you'd say go away. <laughs> yeah, well, we didn't, we didn't let that happen. With me this evening is the lovely and vivacious Miss Jeannie Kay, who I'm sure is just wide awake and raring to go after her fun weekend. I am. I actually slept last night. Oh, that's good. I didn't do that on Saturday night. Then again, I didn't <laughs> do that Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> you have to get some sleep. You have to. You know, sleeping out of eight meat, there's better things to do. Tequila, from what I understand. Yeah. No, no, no. I did not touch the <laughs> Kay did not touch tequila. Good. Yeah, tequila is uh, something else. So, you had a good time? Had an absolutely good time, up to and including. Hold on, my my room won't mute. There we go. Up to and including. Um, I had a very interesting experience with TSA. Tell us about it, Jeannie. We want to know. <laughs> you really want to hear this? Why not? Uh, yeah, so I get through. I'm TSA pre-checked on almost every airline. And I flew down on United, and somehow they ended up booking me on American Airlines on the way back. And okay. uh, so, yeah, um, one of my other friends, two of the four of us, were TSA flagged, and our both of our bags <laughs> tested positive for explosives. <laughs> sure they did what did you buy at that vape meet I know right so uh, so yeah and the girl is like well, man we're you know I can have to test your bag because I'm like um, there's my suitcase and my coat and my shoes where's my purse and she said excuse me I said uh, where's the bin with my purse and she says oh hold on she goes and look yep 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 they've got my the container with my purse on a special belt. 
She said, well, we're going to have to go through your bag. Blah, blah. So she wipes the bag down, sticks the thing in the machine, and it goes, beep. And I'm like, holy Christ, I would shoot myself if I had to listen to that all fucking day. <laughs> so she says, ma'am, we're going to have to go through. And she says, your bag is tested positive for explosives. And I went, and I started laughing. And I said, you're kidding, right? And she said, no, I'm not kidding. I said, well, I assure you that purse has never so much as been to a shooting range, but okay. And uh, she's, okay, we're going to have to give you the whole pat down. She says, would you rather do it here or would you like to do it in private? And I'm like, um, are you taking my clothes? And she said, no. And I said, well, you can go ahead and do it right here in public. I said, you know, just make sure you do a really good job. I haven't been fouled up all weekend. It's <laughs> kind of funny. And I said, you know, and I said, if, if you do a really good job, maybe I'll pay you. If you do a really, really good job. Maybe all the people walking by here, maybe they'll pay you for, for it, too. And she, and she just lost it. She just cracked up laughing. And I'm standing there, you know, and she's doing her thing. And I'm like, you know, a little higher. You, I know you think we're going to do that part with the back of your hands, but could you do that again with the front of your hands? And she says, ma'am, you really have to stop because I'm not allowed to laugh doing this. <laughs> <sighs> glass in your bag or any metal that's going to poke me. I went, well... There's a lot of glass in there, and depending on, on how it was treated between the time I put it in that machine and the time you've got it right here, some of it might be broken. She okay. said, excuse me? I said, there's like 6 to 12 bottles of e-liquid in there. And she goes, I'm sorry, what? I said, e-liquid for e-cigarettes. And she goes, oh, oh, okay, now I know what you mean. So everybody calls it juice. I said, well, everybody's idiots. <laughs> And uh, so she goes through everything, and she's like, um, I said, now, I said, before you open that up, I said, you need to understand there are six mods in there. And she goes, a what? And I said, well, fancy, fancy electronic cigarettes. And she goes, isn't that a lot? I said, well, two of them I took down there to get fixed. I always take three with me because I believe in backups for your backups for your backups because, you know, it's not like buying a pack of cigarettes at 7-Eleven that'll kill you safer alternatives aren't really that handy and I said one is one is a friend of mine's that was getting fixed and I said and her flight had to leave before it got back so there's there's six and I said and there's 12 18 650 batteries in there <laughs> and she says well 12 batteries is no big deal and I said no no no, no. and I said see that little white box right there and she said, yeah. And I said, open that up first. I said, you can wipe it down with whatever, but open it because that, that's one. Right. Well, because they had a really good deal on the Sony uh, VTC. <laughs> yeah. So it was about time that I, you know, got rid of some old batteries and got some new ones. And they, they, they it was a hell of a good deal. And she's like, oh, wow, these are huge batteries. I said, yes, we are all about the huge. And she cried. <laughs> <laughs> <lost it> again. <laughs> she gets all thought goes, ma'am, I would like to detain you a little longer just for the giggles, but I'm sure you have better things to do. <laughs> he says, you are so good-natured about this. And I said, well, to be 100% honest with you, I've got all kinds of time. My flight doesn't go out until noon. And she said, it's 6 in the morning. I said, yes, my girlfriend's flight leaves at 8 o'clock, and we all rented the same vehicle, so I'm, I'm here. I said, so, you know, personally, you could take all the time you wanted. I got all day. <laughs> So, but yeah, um, 
And, and what was hysterically funny is one of my bottles of e-liquid was what was throwing a reading in the machine, which I know for a fact the vendor shipped that the vendor brought with them in box after box that was shipped freight on the same flight he flew out on. So yeah, whatever. But yeah, so um yeah, I, I got to I got to play with TSA. Well some somebody mentioned in the chat VGPG coming up as explosives. And yes, yeah. that can happen when the machine isn't very well calibrated. It picks no, up the glycols. Which are a reactive substance. So yeah, it goes. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> this is something beep. Yeah. Yep. Basically, yeah. It's when they program the machine. You know, it's supposed to be calibrated against a test sample, but that should be done every three months. Uh, guess what? Oh. They don't do it every three months. Well, why bother, really? <laughs> so I bet there's machines out there that haven't been recalibrated for years. Yeah, yeah. It, it was it was quite entertaining. Um, I know I know that this poor girl. I hope I didn't get her in trouble, but yeah. <laughs> and if you've for reading all of Robin Barsky's posts, um, Robin has from the Baby Militia. Mm-hmm. She has full <laughs> of a time getting through TSA. Yes, she does. Uh, yeah, and and Jan and I did find out why those body scanners don't pick up my spinal cord stimulator. Okay. Um, because I asked in Buffalo on my way out, and, and the lady says, well, these are only do a surface scan. Oh, God. Like, are you kidding me? So you're only looking, what, at the surface clothing? Uh, apparently. So if the suicide, So if the suicide bomber swallowed binary liquid explosive and a detonator, they wouldn't pick it up. Okay. <laughs> Lovely, yeah. Sorry, I shouldn't have said Again, that on air. That's yeah. my different yeah, Thanks ideas. for giving people a good idea. Well, yeah. why don't you just say yellow cake, Barry? <laughs> yellow cake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. No, I'm. I'm not surprised. I'm glad you had fun with the poor TSC oh. lady. That you... God. And have you heard of the the Joytech AIOs? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. I bought seven of them. Wow. Well, okay. Starting your own I, shop. No, I was out of gear. And generally when somebody asks me about vaping, it's a smoker and it's really so much easier if I have something here that I can show them how to use and send them out the door with what they need. Yeah, and the I, AIO is probably one of the better starter devices at the minute. Yeah. And, yeah, Ego and it, on and steroids. It, yeah. Um, well, they come with a .6 coil, but um, I... Uh, the one that I kept for me, I've already ordered two boxes of the stainless steel one ohm coils. Right. Stainless um, steel coils are good. Yeah, uh, they're stainless steel Clapton coils. So, um, but you know, my Freedom Smokes has got them for eight ninety five a five pack. Wow. I mean, you can't get coils for a fucking Nautilus tank that cheap. <laughs> yeah, hey. it's the same exact coil that's in the Cubis. And Jan, I have got to tell you. Had they had these fuckers when I started vaping, I would have never bought a mod. They're that good. You know, I um, I have to say, like, I know when I started vaping, I was using a 510. I was really lucky to get to anybody who had 510s in stock. I had been actually sitting and watching the 
what I knew of the community on ECF for about four months before I tried ordering anything. And nothing anywhere was in stock because it was in the middle of let's seize everybody's e-cig season. You know, that wonderful little game that the government was playing with our stuff. Um, and it was a challenge. Carry six freaking batteries or seven batteries with you to get through the damn day. Yeah, I started, oh, you... I started with a basic little 510, two of those. Yeah. Uh, and a pass-through, it must be said. <laughs> I got a pass-through later. Two and, months later, and, though. And a week later, I had re a couple of Reavers. And then by end of month one, I'd built a parallel 18650 box mod. Well, when Jeremy's egos didn't even exist, Barry. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I came in um, just after Egos had arrived. Egos and Regos oh, man. and the like. So, yeah. Wow. You know what I did get, though? Like, after about a month when I was like, I can't I can't vape on this anymore. It's not, it's not working. I got myself a Gary Dibley torch mod. Oh, they were lovely, some of those. They were really nice. I, was I, it um, the one with a coin in the top or just a plain one? Just a plain one. And oh. um, I did actually manage to burn through about eight of them. Um, because I'm hard on switches. I've even killed silver bullet switches, which yeah, is hard Jack, to believe. You're part of vape gear anyway. Your your electrical system and your body just messes with all kinds of shit. <laughs> well, that and she lives in the the, the, in. the the state which has the conditions which electronics do not like. Yes. Yeah. All that heat and humidity. Yeah, switches and electronics do not like it. Here. Odd, it is durable. They should all have Jan test them. <laughs> Actually, you know, I um, when we went through and we tested the the mods, because I know you and I tested them, both you and I both tested them. Yep. Um, when we tested them, I, the message I got was, I heard you break everything. We want you to beta test this. Yeah, well, guess what? When the new beta came out, I broke that before I ever used it. I broke, I broke, I broke four, of them. four of them. After four, After they don't send you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> After you break the fourth one, they're like, you know, we're good. Um, this is not for you. You need something encased in lucite. <laughs> I mean, I was thinking, but now that Barry said VG and PG residue, mm -hmm. yeah. you know what? That probably is exactly what it was because when we were down there, um, I have one of the Salido tanks from Aspire, and and I really like this thing so much um, that I actually bought another one while I was down there. And one of them had evidently a bad piece of glass on it because full of e-liquid, it broke in my purse. Damn. Uh, yeah. 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 I mean, and it was a perfect break. I mean, like half of this piece of glass broke off. It's or something like, just well, something managed to just hit. There's a spot in everything that'll bust it. Well, yeah, but I mean, I have them stupid bands on them, you know, because I knock shit over so much. But yeah, so somehow half of the glass broke off on one of them, and of course it ran all over in the inside of my purse. So maybe that's what it was. Maybe. Yeah. Probably, especially if it was like soaked in it, kinda. That would probably cause that to happen. Yeah. Well, if you liquid ran all over the inside of my purse, and you can only clean up so much of that shit. Yeah. Well, unless you take and throw it in the washing machine, depending on what your purse is made out of. I mean, I've become um, mispractical as I've gotten older. Oh, none of those 
weird looking backpacks anymore. No, I just have a tote bag for a purse now. I can't reach in and grab what I need to when I'm out, then it's not working for me. Oh yeah, I have a I have a huge purse, but I did have to buy a bag at that same airport, by the way. Because um, yeah, no, um the reason for it was I somehow managed to end up on not an American Airlines flight, but an American Eagle flight. Have you seen those planes? No, no. Have you, you you've not seen them fucking things? Mm-mm, mm-mm. Big elastic bands and they wind up the propeller. Oh, you got to take a, just basically a kid's little um, remote control plane. Yeah, your standard carry-on bag does uh-huh. not fit in the overhead on the <laughs> little itty-bitty plane. <laughs> and I said to the girl, I said, um, you can't check my bag. And she says, well, it, it has to be checked. And I said, miss, put it in that thing you got sitting over there. It is within dimensions for a carry-on bag. And she said, yes, but on these planes, the overhead isn't the size it is on normal planes. And I said, well, then you should have told me beforehand because my bag cannot be checked. And she said, well, I, if there's something in there, you'll just have to take it out. And I said, something? <laughs> There's, there's seven AIOs in there. There's my spinal cord stimulator charger in there. I'm like, uh, well, fuck, because obviously nothing else is going to fit in my purse. I've got 12, 18, 650 batteries in there. <laughs> Six mods in there. I had a total of 240 mils of e-liquid in there. And then, you know, my wallet, my phone, my head. I'm like, fuck. So, so you had I'm, to take out your entire life, basically. So I am now the proud owner of a really nice heavy canvas bag that I will for, from now on use in place of a purse when I fly because it's fucking awesome. And it was on clearance for $20, so I wasn't too very pissed off. I, I still would have been mad, but, um, yeah. yeah. No, still mad, but, I'm, yeah. Okay. I've been, been really pissed. But, yeah, so anyway, uh, mm-hmm. Chicago O'Hare TSA. Uh, the girl that, that searched me, super, super nice. The rest of y'all suck shit-covered donkey balls. Leave me the fuck alone. And calibrate your shit. <laughs> calibrate your shit. All right. A review on the TSA from Miss <laughs> Jeannie K. Yes, they're machines that are designed to detect, detect uh, volatile organic compounds, which is what most explosives are made of. Yes, also pick up e-liquid. Not yeah. volatile, Terry. <laughs> yeah. No, not really. No, but it. Oh God only knows. God only knows what they were thinking. Yeah, yeah. Because I, cal- I can promise you that that purse has never been to the gun range. I can promise you that. I can never promise you that about anything I own. <laughs> Truthfully, I bought the damn thing. That's the only reason I can guarantee you it has never been. To- <laughs> <sighs> so, Barry, before I before I start. Uh-huh. Tell me what you know about the protests, so that I don't have to go through and read this what, whole thing. The, pr- the protests that the mainstream media sort of ignored, you mean? Oh yeah, they said what, a few hundred people took to the yeah. streets. Lie. Well, yeah, down in London, uh, many thousands of people. <laughs> because, <laughs> yes. yeah, lots of them were streaming on Periscope and various other things. 
Live took to the streets of London to protest about our our lovely government uh, and calling for our lovely porky PM, Mr. <laughs> Hammerin, sorry Cameron, uh, to resign <laughs> and call an election due Mr. to all King. the austerity cuts and all the lies and yeah. But none of the TV companies mentioned anything about it. Two of the newspapers had short little tiny articles where, as you say, they said, oh, there's a few hundred people. Um, when estimates va- va- uh, put it somewhere between 50 and 150,000 people attended. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I've got to say. Not, when... not a little tiny protest. <laughs> it was, it was not big. really. It, it was big. Um, and I managed to, because I managed to catch a little bit of it from RTUK, was yeah. actually live, like showing the live stream from someone's phone. Yeah. And. When you looked at this protest, it went back like five city blocks. I mean, it was just jammed full of people. It was kind of neat to see. Uh, and I do think um, Porky PM, uh, you know, the, <laughs> the pig fucker, I really do think he should resign. Um, I just do. And, you know, I think it's kind of neat that people are actually paying attention to the Panama Papers. Um, whether it will work or not, whether people actually leave office, I don't know. Well, I don't but, know if you heard one of the, the nice good start. ones in his tax returns, which, yeah, the uh, after after two years since he was first asked, he finally published his tax forms. Um, <laughs> and in an interview uh, last year sometime, mm-hmm. somebody mentioned about some of the property that his wife owned, and he just went, oh, yeah, that's just a field in the countryside and yeah of course it was <laughs> what it actually was was her family has uh basically real estate business <laughs> and yeah it was 77,000 pounds was her dividend from the company wow so yeah just a field mr cameron really <laughs> yeah her you know her her i think it's something like 10% share in the company, their, their family's company, $77,000. That's more than just a field. That's yeah, a lot a little, of fields. <laughs> yeah, that is. A little bit of a field. That's that's a big field. Well, where, um, where, where the property is owned, apparently it's £1,500 an acre. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a big field. Mm. Yeah, it is. That, it is a big field. Um, so... Something I read today and I just like really like just now added it to the show notes. Can I verify it? No, but it's an AP story. I tend to believe these. Poll, just 6% of people say they trust the media. Washington AP. Trust in the news media is being eroded by perceptions of inaccuracy and bias fueled in part by American skepticism about what they read on social media. Just 6% of people say they have a lot of confidence in the media, putting the news industry about equal to Congress and well below the public's view of other institutions in this presidential campaign year. Yeah, when Comcast has a higher level of trust than the news media, you have a problem. Um, Democrats were more likely to trust the news media than Republicans or independents. But trust today also goes beyond the traditional journalistic principles of accuracy, balance, and fairness. Yeah, okay, well, you don't see that much either. 
Faced with ever-increasing sources of information, Americans are also more likely to rely on news that is up-to-date, concise, and cites expert sources or documents, according to a study by the Media Insight Project, a partnership of the Associated Press um, and the NORC Center for Affairs Research and Public Press Institute. They want to be able to navigate the news app or website easily and quickly without having to wade through intrusive or annoying ads. That'll drive you nuts. Um, the skill set that journalists have to master is bigger, said Tom Rosenstiel, uh, executive director for the American Press Institute. That's because the expectations of news consumers have increased. The poll shows that accuracy is clearly the most important component of trust. Nearly 90% of Americans say it's extremely or very important that the media get their facts correct, according to the study. About 4 in 10 say they can remember a specific incident that eroded their confidence in the media, most often one that dealt with accuracy or a perception that was one-sided. The news media have been hit by a series of blunders on high-profile stories ranging from the Supreme Court's 2012 ruling on Barack Obama's health care law to the Boston Marathon bombing that have helped feed negative perceptions about the media. In 2014, Rolling Stone had to retract a vivid report about an alleged gang rape at a fraternity party at the university of at the university of virginia the columbia graduate school of journalism asked by rolling stone asked by rolling stone to investigate after questions were raised about the veracity of the story called it an avoidable journalistic failure and another shock to journalism journalism's credibility amid heavily head swiveling change in the media industry the most important thing that news organizations can do is be accurate and while we know that is a high value, this study reinforces that, said Margaret Sullivan, public editor at the New York Times. Even if it goes against the competitive push to be first, she said, perhaps there is a there has to be a willingness to wait a little bit to be right. Readers are also looking for balance. Are there enough sources so they can get around a picture of what they're reading? They want transparency too. Tell me what you don't know and tell me how you're going about reporting the story, she said. And there's a lot more, but I just thought that that was really interesting because I don't want to read the whole thing because I'm afraid the AP will sue me for it. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, it mentions Facebook being people's primary source and then mentions Twitter. And Twitter yeah, is probably one of the best because you see everything as it's happening. It's fantastic. Um, When we're doing the run-up to the TPD vote, yeah, mm -hmm. vapors. That's what we were doing. We're yeah. we're putting all the stuff out on Twitter because then mm -hmm. everyone gets it immediately, um, yeah. as long as they're following somebody who's following you and etc. Yeah, but it exactly. means all the positive and negative stories get put out in seconds rather than hours, which the yeah, traditional but... media takes. So yeah. But I mean, here's the thing: everything. Everything that I put on a Monday podcast, except for that, is something I've verified. Yeah. I've sat there and I've waded through it. And I've, I've waded through stuff for a week and I've backtracked sources. And what I've tried to find when we read it here is the most well-balanced story I can find. Yeah. Not the longest or the shortest or the wordiest. Just does it represent both sides or does it just represent one side and why? Because I think somewhere in the middle between both sides is the truth yeah i'm never going to be able to report the truth you're never going to be able to none of us are because it's not happening to us but we can be innocent bystanders and try to figure out 
the best interpretation of what but we again, hear. again, this is where you have a bonus with Twitter. If you <laughs> see a story shoot past and you go, mm -hmm. oh, you can put a cert if you're using a Twitter um, client, client rather than Twitter itself. You put in a search term for that story, basically, you know, the, the headline. And then it'll bring up, it'll show you the f Twitter flicking past with all the different versions of that story from all the different media outlets. It's uh, yeah. really handy. So you, you quite quickly know if it's um, somebody taking the piss or whether it's, <laughs> it is proper news. Do you know what's so, surprising to me? How many people don't, like, there'll be times where I'll throw something up on my Facebook page and it'll be The Onion. Most yeah. of us here know what The Onion is. Do you know how many times I've seen people actually resharing stuff I've posted from The Onion and getting bent about it? I'm going, really? <laughs> oh, I have to type at the top of every one of those posts. This is satire. Yeah, News Thumps, the popular one at the minute on Facebook. Yeah. Lots of News Thumps just... stuff coming through. Well, it does, does go to show that people do believe what they read on Facebook, I guess, more than they believe the traditional media, which that isn't hard to do. No, not when you, like I say, you, big protest going on in London. You click click on the news and it's about um, mm -hmm. the prince and his missus sitting on the lover's bench at the Taj Mahal. You're like, yeah, <laughs> what about all the people that are, you know, outside par you know, parliament and everything? What, what, mm -hmm. <laughs> that not well, news? I, <laughs> the 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 other interesting thing was there actually people protesting in front of David Cameron's house. Yeah. <laughs> and they would just want him gone. And I can understand that. Oh, yeah. They're, somebody's referring to a story that I stuck on my Facebook page yesterday from said punk rock homesteading. This guy took a Did bunch of sleeping punk pills. Steading. Punk rock homesteading, yeah. Okay. Okay, um, so this guy <laughs> couldn't sleep, so he took a bunch of sleeping pills, and I guess they didn't work for him either, so he got up and went to his computer and he ordered a yak. <laughs> yeah, I saw that, yes. He had the winning bid on the yak, and they were going to deliver it to his apartment complex in the city, uh, but he found a way out of it, apparently. Um, I guess it's going to some farm now but he was really bent because everybody wanted it to show up there because you know imagine the video and the photo opportunities for that oh but uh, hopefully hopefully it was a female yak he ordered because then you know try and get some of the yak's milk make some night yak butter and, and then <laughs> you'd have proper oriental green tea with the yak's butter in it uh, pretty healthy i don't know I'm sure it's very healthy. It sounds fucking disgusting, though. I don't know if you've ever been around a yak, but... Well, no. you see, it's because yak, <laughs> yak's milk is not exactly pleasant. So, yeah, they, they, they put yak's butter in the tea rather than the milk. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah. well, yaks aren't very um, pleasant-smelling animals, just saying. Um. Okay, I guess... I don't even know. Do I want to do this? Yeah, I guess so. Um, I guess government waste is a common thing, but it doesn't just happen here in America. Airport sniffer dogs find cheese and sausages, but fail to spot drugs. Reporting to Manchester's airport security reveals canine officers found no heroin or cocaine in six months. 
Um, the canine companions of airport security staff in Manchester are quick to spot sausages and cheese in passengers' luggage, but are failing to sniff out Class A drugs, a report has found. Inspectors said sniffer dogs at Manchester's airport have failed to find any drugs or legally smuggled cash. They know how illegal cash smells? Uh, the report also found that there were major faults with immigration controls, which allowed scores of passengers into the UK without correct border checks. The dogs failed to spot a single person carrying heroin or cocaine over the border during a six-month period studied by the Independent Chief Inspector of Borders and Immigration. But one dog trained to detect illegal animal products often found a small amount of cheese or sausages carried by holiday makers, the report said. Inspectors said although heroin and cocaine were assessed as very high priority for the search team, no Class A drugs have been found by the dogs between November 2014 and June 2015. The review assessed airport border checks by 286 staff in the Home Office, which oversees the checks and improvements to be made. Some recommendations had already been implemented and added uh, the airport, the UK's third largest, had six detector dogs and new kennels, which cost $1.25 million. One dog made accurate detections, but most were of cheese and sausages, which the report said was a poor return on the annual cost of running the canine team. Over the whole period, the dogs helped seize more than 46,000 cigarettes, 6,000 kilograms of tobacco, 181 kilograms of illegal meat, and 28,000 dollars, I'm sorry, 28,000 pounds in, in cash. Uh, the dogs successfully detected illegal drugs on three occasions, finding small amounts of Class B substances. They also found tablets of human growth hormone, Viagra, and benzos. <clears throat> sorry. I, I went off the cuff with that one. A uh, senior manager agreed that there was a lack of innovation in the use of dogs and told us that a new management structure was being put in place to take a fresh look at the deployment. Other elements of border checks that were also reviewed with the report finding that a significant number of border force staff at the airport were not fully trained in immigration work, leading to delays and insufficiencies in the processing of passengers. Some staff were called upon to supervise immigration functions at terminal for a shift without the relevant immigration knowledge or training. There was a control breach in April 2015 when 150 passengers from a delayed Ryanair flight were misdirected through an unmanned immigration control, meaning they were able to leave the airport without their passports being checked. Managers acted derisively to deal with the breach. A number of passenger entries were also questioned in the report. These included an American passenger on a two-month visit with just 37 pounds to his name, who just returned from Egypt on an Islamic studies course, a 12-year-old Japanese boy who arrived alone to be picked up by a disheveled man who admittedly had no schooling arrangements, um, admitted no schooling arrangements had been made and interacted badly with the boy. When social services weren't available, he was granted entry anyway. A Chinese national with a visa declared an amount of money for tourism and shopping, which was well above his annual income. He was allowed in for six months, which should not have been permitted without a luggage check or interview, according to the inspector. An American professional poker player who wanted to meet a woman he met on Facebook, uh, declaring himself to be a medical marijuana user, he was granted temporary admission to visit the woman until his flight five days later. The inspector said there should have been more checks because two children lived at the woman's home and he should have been told medical marijuana was illegal in the UK. So, yeah, that's your tax dollars at work there. Yeah. The dogs, right? See, what happened yep. with the dogs, right? So for uh -huh. months, these dogs were sniffing out heroin and cocaine and obviously right. they just ended up with a really, really bad case of the munchies. So <laughs> they're going straight for the sausages and cheese. That I, must be it. 
Sounds sounds <laughs> credible to me, you know. <laughs> so if if you think your airport security is bad, and I'm sure Miss Jeannie K thinks her air, airport security is bad, this is just as kind of bad. I at can't least, imagine allowing. At, yeah, at least most of those were actually mistakes by staff. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> oh, the, the yeah. immigration checkpoint with nobody there letting 150 yeah. people through, that's a major screw-up, though. Oh, I'm sure, yeah, somebody got fired, I'm sure, when that happened. I hope somebody got fired for that. I really do hope somebody got fired for that. Um, and, yeah, the airline itself would also got uh, in a lot of trouble, I would imagine. It's like, you did yeah. what? But we didn't have any staff there. Really? Oh, uh, sorry. Oops. <laughs> so, Governor Robert Bentley, I don't know if anybody knows who he is, but uh, he's he's a fun guy. Governor Robert Bentley today addressed reports that a state helicopter in 2014 was dispatched to retrieve a wallet he left in Tuscaloosa and bring it to him in Gulf Shores. Bentley said he needed the wallet bought to him for security reasons, and although Bentley said the incident looks bad, the governor contends it was not illegal. I requested they deliver my wallet. I didn't know how they were going to do it, the governor said. I did not request a helicopter that was used. You have to have your wallet for security reasons. I'm the governor. I had to have money. I had to buy something to eat. You have to have identification. Bentley said there is no legal question concerning the incident, saying the law clearly allows it. It sounds bad, and it looks bad, but I did not authorize that, and that was not my request, and they got it to me as quickly as they could, so that's what happened, Bentley said. Governor also said he did not initially remember the incident. Yeah. Um, he, if I remember correctly, this guy has been... I don't know whether he's going to be bought up on corruption charges, but the judge who's supposed to arraign him, if I remember this correctly, um, has a censure against him for something he did as a justice and then the guy who's supposed to bring charges against him is going to jail <laughs> so it, it's um, fun all around yeah. yeah yeah fun all around i'm glad i don't live there I, I do love that bit i'm the governor i had to have money i had to buy something to eat yeah <laughs> i i bet there isn't a governor that pays for meals when he's out and about Oh, I'd probably find that not. I, yeah, I, I I've seen this work even with celebrities. Yeah, they they go into mm -hmm. a restaurant and they just get everything free. So I, I can only <laughs> assume. Yeah, this is going to happen with the governor as well. One would assume. Yeah. Because you know any any restaurant with a brain is going to ask for a quick photograph and a signature and have it on the wall going, "Yeah, yeah, here, <laughs> free publicity." You know, and yeah. unless they don't like the governor. Uh, in which case he's going to get very interesting, interesting seasonings on his food. Um, yeah. Oh, I don't have time for the Ted Cruz story before we get Alex. I guess that's a shame. That's a really good <laughs> one. Um. Okay. So, let's get everything out of the way already. Uh, proposed. Nope. Not that one. That wasn't where I was going. I'm sorry, guys. This is like 47 pages long. So. I was hoping to get the last. Hmm? And last week was seven. Yeah, it wasn't. It, it was a different week, though. Okay. How about this one? Turkey asked Germany to prosecute comedian over 
Arogden poem. Yeah. Um, Jan Borman accused Turkish president of repressing minorities, kicking Kurds, and slapping Christians in satirical sketch. In Turkey, Recep Tayyip Erogden's inability to take a joke may hardly be news, but after the Turkish government asked for the prosecution of a German comedian for performing a satirical poem about its president, it's now well known in Germany too. Coming shortly after the European Union's refugee swap deal with Turkey took effect, the row has not only triggered a debate about the limits of free speech in Germany, but also raised questions of whether Europe has made itself too reliant on the moods of Turkey's strongman president, who is engaged in a crackdown on the media in Turkey. In a short clip from the late-night program screened on the German state broadcaster ZDF at the end of last month, comedian Jan Borman sits in front of a Turkish flag beneath a small framed photo of Idrogen, reading out a poem that accuses the Turkish president of, among other things, repressing minorities, kicking Kurds, and slapping Christians while watching child porn. The scene was broadcast shortly after it emerged that Turkey had demanded the deletion of another satirical song from the German comedy show Extra 3, and Borman's poem was deliberately framed as a test of the boundaries of satire. Throughout his reading, the comedian is advised by a media lawyer who tells him that this is precisely the sort of thing that does not qualify as satire. What could happen now, Borman asks after finishing the poem. Potentially, they'll take it off their website, his sidekick tells him. And so the German state broadcaster did, explaining that the show didn't live up to the requirements by the, that the ZDF makes for the quality of satire programs. On April 6th, it emerged that Germany's state prosecutor was investigating Bormann for violation of the little-used paragraph 103 of the Criminal Code, which concerns insulting organs or representatives of foreign states. At worst, the comedian was facing a prison sentence of up to three years, though until the Turkish government filed its formal request for Bormann's prosecution, few seemed to think that that would, case would go ahead. Apparently, in order to try to appease the Turkish government and discourage it from pursuing the matter via legal challenges, Merkel told Turkey's Prime Minister, Ahmet Dovyu, that the poem was deliberately offensive text that she personally disapproved of, but the Turkish government seems to have read her comments as an invitation. According to Spiegel magazine, the German Foreign Ministry, Justice Ministry, and Merkel's office are in talks over how to respond to Turkey's request. Merkel's spokesperson, Stephen Siebert, said a decision will be reached within days, not weeks. The affair has divided the German public. The chief executive of the Axel Springer Media Group, publisher of the best-selling tabloid Billed, has called for solidarity with Bowman. In an, an op-ed in Die Walt, Matthew Dopfinger, uh, I'm butchering these names, I'm sorry, praised the poem as a successful attempt to make us think about how society deals with satire, and more importantly, the satire intolerance of non-Democrats. Uh, the veteran German comedian Didi Hallorven has recorded a song in support of Bormann titled Erdogan Sumi. Defenders say poetry designed to cause offense, referred to as something I can't read in German, has a pedigree that goes back to the incentives of classical writers such as Ciro or Juvenal. <clears throat> Critics dismiss Bormann as an attention seeker. There's a difference between making fun of your own or other people, wrote columnist George Diaz on the website of Der Spiegel. It's a question of power, style, and sensibility. And in his poem, Borman is using humor over the course of the course and bellowing type. Uh, it's just ridiculous. It just goes on and on. Um, so, yeah. 
Yeah, Germany, Germany kind of proving that while it does have comedians, yeah, <laughs> a lot of people there don't have a sense of humour. Because, uh, yeah, um, yeah, we get some German comedians uh, come to the UK <laughs> and, and are very entertaining because uh, they don't have the German regulations to follow. Um, it's just, it, it's ridiculous to me. But yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, Turkey. Yeah, don't don't they ever can't. go there, anyone. <laughs> Turkey, they can't take a joke. Yeah, well, that and you can get shot in the street, and yeah, well, the police don't yeah. do anything because that's happened to British tourists. There's a British tourist that their kid got shot because a gang fight had broken out. Stray bullet killed their kid. Nobody was prosecuted. How is um, football. Football, they take very seriously in Turkey. Yes. Um, a drunk British support, British supporter from one of the British teams who are over there playing, mooned some Turkish fans. They killed him with knives. Ah. Yet some of them did get prosecuted, but they didn't get big sentences. Jesus Christ. Okay. Charming so... country. Yeah, don't go there. <laughs> Good advice. Good travel advice from Barry. Um, so I'm going to bounce back to the United States for a short one. Um, sixth Circuit. Okay. <laughs> Let me try again. Sixth Circuit loses patience with the IRS. Today, nearly 1,050 days since the start of the IRS scandal triggered by allegations that the IRS unlawfully and unethically targeted Tea Party and other conservative organizations for special scrutiny, the litigation continues. One allegedly targeted group bought suit against the IRS for its conduct, and the IRS has resisted the litigation with the same dilatory talics that <clears throat> infuriated members of Congress. In this latest development, a federal district court ordered the IRS to turn over information concerning groups that were subjected to the mistreatment identified by the agency's inspector general. The IRS didn't like this and is now seeking a writ of mandamus in order to avoid having to disclose more information. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit is not amused. Today's opinion in RE, United States of America versus United, <laughs> United States of America versus United States NorCal Tea Party Patriots denying the IRS petition begins. Among the most serious allegations a federal court can address are that an executive agency has targeted citizens for mistreatment based on their political views. No citizen, Republican or Democrat, socialist or libertarian should be targeted or ever have to fear being targeted on those grounds. Yet those are the grounds on which the plaintiffs allege they were mistreated by the IRS here. The allegations are substantial. Most are drawn from findings made by the Treasury Department's own Inspector General for Tax Administration. Those findings include the IRS used political criteria to round up applications for tax-exempt status filed by so-called Tea Party groups, that the IRS often took four times as long to process Tea Party applications as other applications, and that the IRS served Tea Party applicants with crushing demands for what the Inspector General called unnecessary information. Yet in this lawsuit, the IRS has only compounded the conduct that gave rise to it. The plaintiffs seek damages on behalf of themselves and other groups whose applications the IRS treated in the manner described by the Inspector General. The lawsuit has progressed as slowly as the underlying applications themselves. 
at every turn, the IRS has resisted the plaintiff's request for information regarding the IRS's treatment of the plaintiff's class, eventually to the open frustration of the district court. At issue here are IRS be on the lookout list of organizations allegedly targeted for unfavorable treatment because of their political beliefs. Those organizations in turn make up the plaintiff class. The district court ordered the production of those lists and did so again over an IRS motion to reconsider. Yet almost a year later, the IRS has still not complied with the court's orders. Instead, the IRS now seeks from this court a writ of mandamus, an extraordinary remedy reserved to correct only the clearest abuses of power by a district court. We deny the petition. What, on the question at hand, the Sixth Circuit ultimately concluded that the information could be disclosed despite the pro pro protestations of the IRS, as the decision summarized its holding. We hold that the names, addresses, and taxpayer identification numbers of applicants for tax-exempt status are not return information under S6103B2A, uh, and we otherwise and we otherwise emphasize that the phrase data received by, recorded by, furnished to, or collected by secretary, as used in 6103B2A, does not entitle the IRS to keep secret in the name of taxpayer privacy, no less. Every internal IRS document that reveals the IRS mistreatment of a taxpayer or applicant organization, in this case, or future ones. Section 6103 was enacted to protect taxpayers from the IRS, not the IRS from taxpayers. As the panel forthrightly acknowledges, this conclusion conflicts with a 2001 decision by the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit. This might encourage the IRS to seek centauri. And again, the IRS would risk yet another court losing patience with its shenanigans. The Sixth Circuit opinion concludes, in closing, we echo the district court's observations about this case. The lawyers in the Department of Justice have a long storied tradition of defending the nation's interests and enforcing its laws, all of them, not just selective ones, in a manner worthy of the department's name. The conduct of the IRS attorneys in district court falls outside of that tradition. We expect the IRS will do better going forward. And we order that the IRS comply with the district's court discovery orders of April 1 and June 16, 2015, without redactions and without further delay. Oh dear, another branch of the government has done the pissing the judges off thing. Yeah, it's funny how that works. Yeah. It keeps happening over and over again. So law enforcement a few weeks ago, now, now the IRS. You just don't learn, well, do they? <laughs> I think the IRS pisses everybody off. So yeah, yeah, but yeah, it's the classic. Yeah, they're refusing to answer judges with uh, any speed or... Accuracy. Yeah, judges really, really don't like that. No, they don't. Jeannie, any thoughts about that one? Nope, not really. Not really. No shock there. Yep, there you go. <laughs> so, yeah. IRS I mean... are assholes. Judges agree. There you go. Shorten the whole story. <laughs> yeah. Yep, there you go. Well, yeah, but, I mean... They were abusing a lot more people than that. It, yeah. it wasn't just... The problem with that is it wasn't just abusing groups of organizations. It was starting to abuse individual people. And it was a lot of people. That, that's yeah. their job, is abusing individual people. <laughs> they're they're right, tax but collectors. Yeah. But right, that's but no. not their job. That's the problem. It's not their job. No. 
no, what everybody right thinks it. their job is, though. Well, you know, if their job is to piss me off and rob me, they're doing a great job. Yeah, that's that's Excellent. Their, yeah. Excellent job. I don't think that was ever part of their mandate. That's the problem. What they do now is not what they were supposed to be doing. Yeah, I mean, they weren't. They weren't. They were there just to look at numbers initially, <laughs> make sure people okay. are paying the right amount. Now they do right. all these investigations and all that, and yeah, that's completely outside what they're set up for. Well, right, but I mean, this is nothing new. It's not something. I mean, this happened all the time under Nixon, under Reagan. Um, this is a common thing where you send the IRS after your enemies, yep. which is ridiculous. I'm going to send the tax man after you. <laughs> what a threat. I, th I think the, the guy who really got it, kicked it all off was good old J. Edgar. Yeah. Oh, well. He, he <laughs> loved that sort of shit. Well, of course he did. You know, the best way to deflect suspicion off yourself is to cast it on other people. Yeah. And he was very, very good at that, you know, considering the fact that he was a drug-addled, dress-wearing asshole. <laughs> Nobody really knew that. You missed Megalomaniac out of that description. Well, yeah. I did. But it was pretty, it was pretty concise, considering. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's 6.58. I, I don't know. Do we want to try to get Alex? It's, it's been a couple weeks. I bet everybody's missed him. Yeah, I know he's happy to be home. Yeah. I shall see if I can get him. Here we go. Okay. Do, 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 do. Hopefully his Skype behaves. <laughs> that would be really good. <laughs> Hi, Alex. Hello. Good evening and welcome to the CASA update for the week of 4-18-2016. Home again, Alex? Home again. Yay! <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's been a busy couple of weeks with the travel and other stuff while on mm -hmm. the road. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I guess I could ask you what's new and exciting this week, but... Yeah. So, what is new and exciting this week, Alex? <laughs> I got to see Alex! with Alex and Ron. That nice. was awesome. Yeah, awesome. I, it's always good to see Jeannie, and um, thank you again for uh, helping, actually, with our panel. We had a, a kind of a big panel, actually, at um, uh, Vape Bash in Chicago, and okay. uh, see who we have. We had uh, Will Cohen from Vapabet was on there. Um uh, Grim Green was on the panel. Um, we had Amy Lane from Indiana, uh, who's working to put together a uh, a new industry association in Indiana. Um, we had Tony Abood from VTA, the Vapor Technology Association. Mm -hmm. um, let's see, Ron Ward was on there. Um, Oh man, that was that was a lot. Um, <laughs> myself, Evan McMahon, and somebody sitting between. Uh, oh, uh, Jason Downing from Not Blowing Smoke okay. was also on there. So we had like, you know, go ahead. I hope somebody filmed it. That's all. 
Um, there was there was somebody. Yeah, Chopin. That's Chopin from VP Live or from uh, Vape TV. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, I, I think a couple of people were working the cell phones, um, and uh, it was it was a good uh, it was a good panel, honestly. Uh, very small room for what we should have had. Right. Um, I think in years past, it's kind of just been a casa kind of thing, right. and um, it, it doesn't really get a whole lot of attendance. But uh, this year, you know, given the experiences over the past few events, um, we decided to kind of open it up to pretty much, you know, all the organizations that were, you know, if anybody was just kind of hanging out, um, we grabbed them and said, hey, come be on the panel. Right. Um, and uh, the funny thing was, was one of the hotel employees walked by when we were standing there and, um, and he said, well, you know, you guys couldn't have had a bigger room. And I said, well, that would have been good information an hour ago. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but thank you. Yeah, we, yeah, we, we, we were in there for a good two hours. Um, so, yeah, there were a lot of, a lot of good questions. And, um, again, thanks, Jeannie, for kind of helping to steer the conversation. Um, but, uh, yeah, and obviously, you know, people were, were, you know, you're in Illinois, so you're a neighbor. Your neighbor is Indiana. Um, there were lots of questions. There were some good questions, some good discussion about Indiana. Uh, honestly, that could have been its own kind of breakout session. Um, lots of people in Indiana are very concerned about what's going to happen come July 1st. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I've had seen some kind of brief updates about the, a, one of the lawsuits Today, I'm not going to get into it because that's not really my wheelhouse, but um, information is starting to come out about the lawsuits okay. uh, in terms of, you know, how things are going. So if you're curious, you can find it uh, definitely on the Facebook. Okay. Um, so, yeah, uh, it was a good event. I, it, was a, it was a good time. I, I like that place. Uh, hopefully, we'll go back <laughs> next year. Nice. And a bigger room uh, next year. Yeah, we'll definitely get a bigger room, and uh, and I, I like that that format. It's been working really well uh, with the past few events where you have basically representatives from you know the landscape of of, of different advocacy efforts. Yeah, um, that's awesome. So, gonna get uh, right down to it. <laughs> Yeah, well, I guess at the top of the list is our recent call to action that went out today. Um, and just to clear up some confusion in case anybody is still curious about how this works, um, this is the House Appropriations Committee that we're communicating with here. And um, the it's... <clears throat> Excuse me. It's one of those things where it's this is best for lawmakers to hear from their constituents. This is not something that we're opening up to the entire country. Um, so we have limited participation to people living in districts represented by somebody who is a member of the committee. Um, we've been getting lots of messages throughout the day, people trying to participate and they get a message saying that no recipients were found. Um, if that's the case, then that means that you don't have a representative on the appropriations committee. 
um, okay. or your address is just weird. That has happened before. It's very, <laughs> very, very rare, but um, it has happened before. So, um, the, uh, hold on a second. Okay. Um, so, uh, what we are asking for, and I, I'm trying to talk about this without any spoilers here, but, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Simply put, we are asking for the committee to entertain an amendment to the appropriations bill that has language in it which would change the predicate date for newly deemed tobacco products. This is the same kind of language as last year. Right. Um, I say kind of because it's not the exact same language. There is mm -hmm. a lot more to it than just changing the predicate date. Right. But um, um, uh, it is, uh, that is the main thing that we're looking for okay. um, is, is the change, change the predicate date for vapor products to the date when the FDA deeming regulations uh, are finalized. Right. This makes sense. It's it's a good start. It it makes sense. It's it's better than being left with the what was it 2007 predicate date yes. that would have been February bad. February fifteenth two thousand seven and just to yes. kind of and 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 also you know part of the message that we're asking people to send is a very very important point um, that this date change does not prevent the FDA from regulating these products. It just means that we have products that get to stay on the market and can act as a predicate for innovative, you know, changes to the products or, you know, people needing to go through the substantial equivalency pathway. Sure. <clears throat> the FDA still has the authority and the ability to regulate manufacturing standards, ingredients, and other uh, things that they might want to dip their grubby little hands into. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, the way that our opponents are looking at this is that mm -hmm. this weakens their authority uh, to regulate these products. But really what we're asking for is no different than what was afforded to cigarette companies when the Food, Drug, and Cosmetics Act was amended back in 2009. So yeah. those are just very important talking points because uh, I, I believe someone had posted, I can drop the link in your chat here, um, okay. a letter from... Uh, 31 health groups urge Congress to reject appropriations proposals to weaken FDA yes. oversight of e-cigarettes, comma, cigars. Uh, that from everybody's friends at the American Lung Association. Um, there's the link. Um, Gotta love them. Yeah. I know. I was being sarcastic. So, um, the, the committee meets tomorrow. 
Um, I believe, according to this American Lung Association letter, uh, they're going to start working at 10:30 in the morning okay. uh, on this this bill. Um, so hopefully, we get some news tomorrow. Uh, you know, this is one of those huge kind of bills, so I, I don't even know if it's going to be um, if there's going to be enough hours in the day for them to get to this tomorrow. So. Um, uh, it'll be interesting to see what we get out of this committee hearing tomorrow. Uh, but this week, this is the big week. This is this is happening. So, um, yes. still encouraging people to send emails and make phone calls. Yes, um, we'll be sending out a reminder tomorrow with phone numbers, so you don't have to okay. look stuff up. Nice. So that is at the federal level. Um, I guess I should probably follow up with the FAA bill as well. Mm. Um, this was an answer that I gave at the the, the panel that we had. Right. Um, the uh, complicated answer, which is really the only answer, uh, <laughs> to kind of clear the air a little bit, is that um, so you know last week we had um, uh, some posts that were saying you know this amendment is dead, yay. Um, in reality. The you know what happened was debate on a, a particular amendment was closed. Okay. Blumenthal's FAA language was an amendment to that amendment, but the bill itself, HR six thirty six, which is the FAA re FAA reauthorization act, uh, which is a must pass kind of thing. Uh, that bill is still going through the process of being amended amended there are, it's it's still an open target so it's so not dead yet it's not dead yet nothing ever really dies until it gets signed into law um, that's or i mean and let, there are other rules of course that apply but generally it's just a good idea to say you know until it's out of whatever house and on whoever's desk waiting for a right. signature it's still kind of a target. Um, right. That's that's just a general rule of thumb. That's not accurate by any stretch of the imagination, but just as a general rule of thumb, that's kind of a good way to look at things. Um, sure. So, so yes, HR six thirty six is still open to being amended, and Blumenthal's language is still out in the world. So, uh, we for a brief period of a couple hours, actually, while I was from the time that I left Newark to the time I landed in Chicago, um, the uh, uh, our call to action was sort of on pause, and then once I landed, it was open back up again. So it's still active, and we're still, you know, kind of mildly encouraging people to send an email and make a phone call to their um, senators, urging them to oppose this language. Right. Um, so yeah, that's that. Okay. Um, and one of the reasons why, you know, there's sort of a, there was a quick on and off with that engagement. And one of the reasons is that when you get word that, you know, things aren't moving or this bill is kind of, things are quieting down and a lot of people are convinced it's a bad idea. You sort of want to turn off the spigot if you can to not kind of further pester people. Right. Um, it, you know, it's it's one thing to generate a lot of uh, participation up front, but once you kind of got confirmation that people have uh, agreed with you, 
you know, you don't want to keep kind of coming up and bugging them. Uh, it's just, it's really just a matter of courtesy, I think. Um, so that's sort of the pressure to, to kind of call something resolved, if you will. Sure. Um, but, uh, yeah. So anyway, that's that. Uh, I believe, I believe that takes care of, uh, the two federal issues. Um, and since I was in Chicago, uh, there, it should, is appropriate that we have a little bit of an update for Illinois. Um, SB 3011, which is the tobacco 21 bill in Illinois, um, goes to the Senate floor this week. Um, I should probably send out a reminder about that, but, um, from, uh, yeah, uh, just the, uh, I, I don't want to get into details. I would, if you're in Illinois and you haven't taken action on it, please, by all means, send an email, make a phone call to your, uh, Illinois Senator, uh, that is helpful. Uh, but I, I will say that, uh, Vicki Vasconcelos, uh, a, mem a member of our board of advisors and someone who's been very active in uh, standing up for access to these products for a while now yes. um, has been working very hard on this issue and it sounds like she has been doing a very good job and awesome. so um, lots of thanks to her um, also Tony Abood um, from the Vapor Technology Association he is actually a lobbyist in Illinois and has been working uh, very closely with lawmakers on this. So two very competent and experienced people um, working hard on that issue. And awesome. uh, I, I am hopeful for a good outcome on that bill. Awesome. <sighs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that I'm forgetting something. I came home last night and I, I spent about 15 minutes on the vaporing and decided that I wanted to do not do any vapor anything for the rest of the night. So um, I may have uh, overlooked some things. Um, but uh, for now, those are the three really big issues. And again, just a special thanks for um, Vape Bash for having us out again. And um, I really enjoyed the weekend and got to meet a real, bunch of really great people. And uh, and really looking forward to doing it again at the next one that those guys put on and uh -huh. in Chicago next year. Awesome. So. Oh. Okay. <laughs> I cool. just remember. Sorry. Um, the Tobacco Harm Reduction Conference in Brooklyn is this week. Um, yes. That that is April twenty first. Uh, if you are in town. Uh, it is at the Sheraton in Brooklyn, mm -hmm. um, like downtown Brooklyn. Um, I believe, well, you should just Google Sheraton in Brooklyn. And if you're in the area, you can find the closest subway stop really easy. Like all the subway stops are two or three blocks away from, uh, from the event. Uh, and it, and it's, uh, it's pretty easy to get to. So if you're in the area or planning to travel to, uh, New York this week, uh, Put it on your schedule. Um, you can find out about it. Just just Google THR Conference Brooklyn, and you'll find all yep. the information that you need. Julie Westner will be presenting. Uh, Brian Carter is coming as well. I can't remember if he's presenting or not. Um, okay. So Julie, Brian, myself will be there. Um, awesome. uh, Dr. Michael Siegel is mm -hmm. also present. Um, 
Ricardo Pelosa, I believe, is also presenting. Um, Pelosa is on our, uh, Dr. Pelosa is on our board of advisors. So um, a good group of people with lots of good information, and I'm sure it will be absolutely worth your time. Um, I'm going to let you go get caught up on Game of Thrones or something. <laughs> it's, I don't think it's out yet. Uh, I, I, have to get, I have to get caught up on the vaporing now. Oh, okay. Well, go relax. Enjoy your time at home. And thank you for everything you do for us, Alex. Yeah, thank you. Have a great night. Good night. See you next week, maybe. Maybe Alex will be with us next week for the next update. <laughs> so maybe, maybe not. Don't know. You might get me again. My three minute, <laughs> my three minute, my three minute uh, roundup of legislation, which uh, is nowhere near as detailed as that. Alex just does such a good job with that. Okay. Alrighty. Um, I was taking notes the whole time, so. Um, U.S. anti-encryption law, I said we'd talk about this, is so brain-dead it will outlaw file compression. Burr Feinstein's proposed legislation will screw over the NSA, too, says Bruce Shiner. The proposed bill put forward by Senators Richard Burr and Dianne Feinstein, that fucking bitch, to force U.S. companies to build backdoors into their encryption systems has quickly run into trouble. Less than 24 hours after the draft, Compliance with Court Orders Act of 2016 was released. More than 43,000 signatures have been added to a petition calling for the bill to be withdrawn. The petition organized by Credo Action calls for Congress to block the proposed law as a matter of urgency. Meanwhile, in the technical world, experts have been going through the legislation and pointing out glaring holes in the draft bill. Bruce Shiner, the guy who literally wrote the books on modern cryptography, noted that the bill would make most of what the NSA does illegal unless no such agency is willing to backdoor its own encrypted communications. Uh, this is the most brain-dead piece of legislation I've ever seen. Shiner, who has been appointed a fellow of the Kennedy School of Government at Harvard, told the reg, the person who wrote this either has no idea how technology works or just doesn't care. He pointed out that it wasn't just cryptographic code that would be affected by this poorly written legislation. Shiner, like pretty much everyone else, uses lousy compression algorithms to reduce the size of images for sending via email, but as if it won't work in reverse and add back the data removed, this code could be banned by the law too. Files that can't be decrypted on demand to their original state and files that can't be depressed back to their exact originals all look the same to this draft law. Even deleted data could be covered, he opined. Are software companies to put in place mechanisms to retrieve any and all deleted information? It could be inferred from the bill as it stands. Um, saying math can't frustrate... Okay. While big names in technology have yet to make public statements on the matter, the pressure group Business Software Alliance has come out against the Burr-Feinstein bill, saying it strongly urges Congress to think again. We have serious concerns with the proposal released today because it effectively puts limits on data security, and we are concerned it would ultimately undermine security, innovation, and public safety, said BSA President Victoria Espinel. We believe this bill would stunt the development and use of security technologies such as encryption both today and into the future. So, 
if you want to know what the NSA is doing, <laughs> I guess pray for that bill to get passed. But you really don't want that bill passed. Well, it's yeah. If it encompasses um, compression, yeah, yeah, basically every computer system in use by any person any day of the week, phones, computers, everything, mm-hmm. would all pretty much be illegal straight away because nearly everything uses some form of compression. Yep. So, interesting. Skype, interesting, I... Skype, Skype wouldn't be able to work. <laughs> well... Skype wouldn't Skype be able to. Barely works now. <laughs> yeah, Skype would not be allowed because it compresses video and audio signal to work. So does Mixler, yeah. Netflix. Yeah, all of it. All of it uses Streaming compression. Services, so anything you read online, yeah. Oh, that'll be fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always said it's like our legislators suffer from magical thinking, and they really, really do. And this totally proved that. You know, come on. What can I say? Yeah, they're, Not they're, that I... they're geniuses. Sorry, you didn't get my air quotes there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I did. I know what geniuses means. Okay, so I can't fucking stand Ted Cruz. I really can't. <laughs> I really can't. And I'm going to go here. This is from the wonderful communist news magazine mother jones that was that was the wonderful was a air quote the time ted cruz defended a ban on dildos his legal team argued there was no right to stimulate one's genitals in one chapter of his campaign book a time for truth senator ted cruz proudly chronicles his days as a texas solicitor general a post he held from 2003 to 2008 Bolstering his conservative cred, the Republican presidential candidate notes that during his stint as the state's chief lawyer in front of the Supreme Court and federal and state appellate courts, he defended the inclusion of under God in the Pledge of Allegiance, the display of the Ten Commandments on the grounds of the state capitol, a congressional redistricting plan that assisted Republicans, a restrictive voter identification law, and a ban on late-term abortions. He also described cases in which he championed gun rights and defended the conviction of a Mexican citizen who raped and murdered two teenage girls in a case challenged by the world court. In one case, he does not mention is the time he helped defend a law criminalizing the sale of dildos. The case was actually an important battle concerning privacy and free speech rights. In 2004, companies that owned Austin stores selling sex toys and a retail distributor of such products challenged a Texas law outlawing the sale and promotion of supposedly obscene devices. Under the law, a person who violated the statute could go to jail for up to two years. At the time, only three states, Mississippi, Alabama, and Virginia, had similar laws. The previous year, a Texas mother who was a sales rep for passion parties was arrested by two undercover cops for selling vibrators and other sex-related goods at a gathering akin to a Tupperware party for sex toys. No doubt this had worried businesses. businesses really pedal- yeah, passion parties. Never heard of those? No. Okay. okay. They, they exist. The plaintiffs in this ex-device case contended the state law violated the right to privacy under the 14th Amendment. They argued that many people in Texas use sexual devices as an aspect of their sexual experiences. They claimed that in some instances, one partner 
and a couple might be physically unable to engage in intercourse or have a contagious disease such as HIV, that in these cases, such devices could allow a couple to engage in safe sex. But a federal judge sent them packing, thrilling that sex toys were not protected by the Constitution. The plaintiffs appealed, and Cruz's solicitor general's office had the task of preserving the law. In 2007, Cruz's legal team, working on behalf of then-Attorney General Greg Abbott, who is now governor, filed a 76-page brief calling on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit to pull the lower court's decision and permit the law to stand. The filing noted, the Texas Penal Code prohibits the advertisement and sale of dildos, artificial vaginas, and other obscene devices, but does not forbid the private use of such devices. The plaintiffs had argued that this case was similar to Lawrence v. Texas, the landmark 2003 Supreme Court decision that struck down Texas's law against sodomy. But Cruz's office countered that Lawrence focused on interpersonal relationships and the privacy of the home, and that the law being challenged did not block the private use of obscene devices. Cruz's legal team asserted that obscene devices do not implicate any liberty interests. And its brief added that any alleged right associated with obscene devices is not deeply rooted in the nation's history and traditions. In other words, Texans were free to use sex toys at home, but they did not have the right to buy them. The brief insisted that Texas, in order to protect public morals, had police power interests in discouraging prudent interests in sexual gratification combating the commercial sale of sex and protecting minors. There was a, quote, government interest it maintained in discouraging autonomous sex. The brief compared the use of sex toys to hiring a willing prostitute or engaging in consensual consensual bigamy, and it equated advertising these products with the commercial promotion of prostitution. In perhaps the most noticeable line of the brief, Cruz's office declared there is no substantive due process right to stimulate one's genitals for non-medical purposes unrelated to procreation or outside of an interpersonal relationship. That is, the pursuit of such happiness had no constitutional standing, and the brief argued there was no right to promote dildos, vibrators, and other obscene devices. The plaintiffs, it noted, were free to engage in unfettered non-commercial speech touting the use of obscene devices, but not speech designed to generate the sale of these items. In a two-to-one decision issued February 2008, the Court of Appeals told Cruz's office to take a hike. The court, citing Lawrence, pointed to the right to be free from governmental intrusion regarding the most private human contact, sexual behavior. The panel added, an individual who wants to legally use a safe sex device during a private intimate moment alone or with another is unable to legally purchase a device in Texas, which heavily burdens a constitutional right rejected the argument from Cruz's team that the government had a legitimate role to play in discouraging prudent interests in autonomous sex and the pursuit of sexual gratification unrelated to procreation. No governmental officials could not claim as part of their job duties the obligation to reduce masturbation or non-procreative sexual activity. And the two judges in the majority stepped aside the Solicitor General's attempt to link dildos to prostitution. The sale of a device that an individual may choose to use during intimate contact with a partner in the home is not the sale of sex. Summing up, the judges declared, the case is not about public sex. It is not about controlling commerce and sex. It is about controlling what people do in the privacy of their own homes because the state is morally opposed to a certain type of consensual private intimate conduct. This is insufficient justification for the statute after Lawrence. Whatever one might think or believe about the use of these devices, government interference with their personal and private use violates the Constitution. 
it goes on for longer than that, but fuck it. I just thought it was funny as hell. Yeah, it's just Cruz pr- proving he wanted to be the only dick around the place. Yeah. Oh, he is a dick. Big, yeah. flaccid dick. I can't stand and that yeah, guy. the non-procreational activities, yeah, I think he does a lot of those himself. Well, you know... Just have to look at the expressions on his face. <laughs> I bet one, yeah. one arm is more muscled than the other. Yeah. Probably, and, you know, just looking at him, it's, it's hard to believe any woman willingly sleeps with him without being paid to do it. Just saying. I really don't like that guy. I really don't like that guy. Um, okay. I just thought that was kind of funny. Jeannie? Well, what are you going to do? I don't know, but hopefully this fucker doesn't get, you know. Please, God, don't let him be president. (laughs) Well, you know, what are you going to do? I don't know. Exactly what I'm doing, whatever I think is right, fuck the law. I give up. <laughs> you give up what? There's just too much stupid in the world, Juna. <laughs> oh, come on, it was kind of ridiculous. When the hell are, have, has anybody ever heard me talk about dildos or artificial vaginas on this show before? This was the first. You talk about politicians all the time, so I have to say you talk about it quite a lot. <laughs> I just you know, busted the, the sex toy Tupperware party. That's all. <laughs> I have no idea, but I bet it had something well, to do with the Facebook post. My neighbor's trying to sell dildos and they're having a party. Do it. I think you should come arrest them all. <laughs> Somebody who doesn't know have, how to mind their own. Did they have special badges? Dildo police. <laughs> God only knows. And I should be laughing because I had absolutely no fucking idea that they that such a kind of Tupperware party even existed. But (laughs) well, I don't know if you'd call it a Tupperware party, but um, it's some kind of party. Yeah, there's a on summers run parties in the UK, (laughs) which sell all sorts of stuff. Mudflap would like them, you know. They sell quite a lot of handcuffs, apparently. <laughs> you know, I just this is just another example of the government interfering and going way too far. Yeah. yeah. And yet again, I mean, I it's the it's in that story there he wanted the the, the in God bit back in the in the pledge, and it's like, no, no, you're supposed to be keeping that religion separate. separate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the well, whole point. That's what it was written for, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, you would because, actually you know, have they'd to come from all the European countries where, at the time, the Catholic Church had a lot of say in what happened. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I guess it's nice that Cruz is a newborn Purit- Puritan. That's good. Nah, he's, he's not he's not nearly unpleasant enough to be a Puritan, weirdly. <laughs> I, he's I close, don't know but that. he's not quite, you know, Oliver Cromwell. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's pretty fucking bad. Um okay. I guess back to an actual story that doesn't make me have to say the word dildo again. <laughs> um okay. 
A proposed textilizer bill might give cops the right to access your cell phone. A New York bill that would allow police to use a textilizer device to determine whether drivers have been using their phones at the scene of a car accident is causing concern among civil liberties groups who say it could interfere with people's cell phone privacy. The proposed bill, which would make New York the first state to use the textilizer, according to CBS New York, is heavily supported by Distracted Operators Risk Casualties Group, an advocacy organization that promotes preventative legal action for texting-related car accidents. The textilizer, which gets its name from the breathalyzer that determines a driver's blood alcohol content, is a roadside device introduced by Cellbrite, an Israeli technology company that specializes in data extraction. We talked about Cellbrite a couple weeks ago, I think. The device is a scaled-back version of a more intensive phone scraping technology created by the company, which promises that the device doesn't give access to the personal conversations or apps. Instead, the textilizer only determines if the phone was in use at the time of the accident, with the option for a more in-depth crawl should the police officer obtain a warrant to search the driver's phone. I've often heard there is no such thing as a breathalyzer for distracted driving, so we created one, said DORC co-founder Ben Lieberman in a press statement. Respecting drivers' personal privacy, however, is also important, and we are taking meticulous steps not to violate those rights. The bill includes language that gives law enforcement implied consent to having one's phone tested at the scene of a crash. Fourth Amendment rights are not violated, they claim, because no actual phone data is being mined by the technology as reported by Ars Technica. But some civil liberties groups are skeptical that in practice, use of the textilizer will be as uninvasive as DORC claims. Distracted driving is a serious public safety concern, but this solution is not tailored to the problem, said Donna Lieberman, in relation to DORC's Ben Lieberman, executive director of the New York Civil Liberties Union. The technology may, in fact, be scanning through the content of people's phones and collecting data, even if that is not apparent. And if you finally tune the technology, there are many cases where people will be fined for a lawful activity. There are several ways someone could be using a phone line with distracted driving laws that could run afoul of this test. Lee Tienan, senior staff attorney at the Electronic Frontier Foundation, agrees that the technology is ripe for misuse. I think a law that essentially requires you to hand your phone to a cop in a roadside situation without a warrant is a non-starter. I know that supporters of this law talk about how it's designed to keep police away from the sensitive areas of your life, but really, that's ridiculous. They're human, and they sure make errors in judgment, he said. Both Lieberman and Teen also mentioned that police officers are looking to investigate a driver's phone can obtain a call and texting records with timestamps from phone companies. There are existing legal channels for law enforcement to access a phone or phone records if they have grounds to suspect distracted driving has occurred, rather than field testing every fender bender, said Donna Lieberman. But textilizer advocate Ben Lieberman says that in practice, most phone records are never investigated after a car crash. He would know, he said, he got involved with DORC and supporting distracted driving laws after the death of his 19-year-old son in a texting while driving accident. After the crash, law enforcement officials did not attempt to obtain phone records until Lieberman himself pursued a search warrant through a civil suit. It's unrealistic to think you can get a warrant for every crash, said Ben Lieberman, adding that a warrant is required in order to get records from a phone company. He emphasized that the bill, which has been dubbed Evans Law after his son, takes careful consideration not to violate privacy rights and that the textilizer can be used right in front of the driver. The technology and protocol will protect rights or else it won't work. The last thing I want to do is be responsible for violating anyone's rights. I also don't want to bury another child, he said. 
And of course he's talking complete shit. In the UK, if there is a road traffic incident, um, immediately if it's one involving serious injury, the first thing the police do is take everyone's phones and apply to get the phone records. That's the very first thing they do. Every accident of that sort. Minor bumps and scrapes they don't, but yeah, right. if somebody's been injured uh, or if somebody dies, they immediately grab all the phones and get a warrant to look at the cell phone records. And yeah, to see if somebody's texting mm -hmm. uh, is the one they mainly look for because right. you are allowed to use hands-free headsets, so phone calls mm -hmm. don't really count. Right. Um, but also, you know, they can check if certain um, online apps were active, games mm -hmm. or such like, where, right. yeah, you shouldn't be using your hands for that when you're driving the car. Um, yeah. So, yeah, they, they, they manage it over here. So, that, yeah, again, this is just somebody wanting the police to have a lazy option. Yeah. Jeannie? You have a teenage child. Thoughts? No. 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 Okay. I don't like it, but, you know, we already know my views on civil liberties. So, personal books and papers. Yeah, I, I don't like the idea of that, so... Yeah, I'm. I'm just gonna say this gets a big thumbs down from me. You know, I don't. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. Yeah, um, that, that that is really company. Yeah, they're pretty. Not a nice company, pretty, is it? They're pretty skanky. They do some yeah. fucked up shit. They really do. Just say that, I mean, that. That's the second time in less than a month their names come up. The other oh, one was this. The the Apple. The iPhone yeah. hacking oh, yeah. equipment. Yeah. 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 And so yeah, you... this this textilizer will be based on the technology in, in that other device. Of course yeah. it will. So, of yeah. course it will. Yeah. So cell phone scraping technology is a big thing now. Who knew? I didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> so yay. Um, so this is kind of interesting, and I find a lot of these stories interesting when our technology companies sue our government, and they sue our government to tell us the truth about, you know, when the government is reading our emails or whatever, and yet if you go over to China, they're eagerly helping the government to do the same thing to the Chinese, which I think is kind of um, pathetic. But anyway... Um, Microsoft says U.S. is abusing is abusing secret warrants. Thank you, Intercept. We appreciate that there are times when secrecy around a government warrant is needed. Microsoft President Brad Smith wrote in a blog post on Thursday. But based on the many secrecy orders we have received, we question whether these orders are grounded in specific facts that truly demand secrecy. To the contrary, it appears that the issuance of secrecy orders has become too routine. With those words, Smith announced Microsoft was suing the Department of Justice for the right to inform its customers when the government is reading their emails. The last big fight between the Justice Department and Silicon Valley was started by law enforcement when the FBI demanded that Apple unlock an iPhone used by San Bernardino killer uh, Saeed Rizwak Farouk. This time, Microsoft is going on the offensive. The move is welcomed by privacy activists as a step forward for transparency, though it's also for business reasons. 
Secret government searches are eroding people's trust in the cloud, Smith wrote, including large and small businesses now keeping massive amounts of records online. The transition to the cloud does not alter people's expectations of privacy and should not alter the fundamental constitutional requirement that the government must, with few exceptions, give notice when it searches and seizes private information or communications, he wrote. According to the complaint, Microsoft received 5,624 federal demands for customer information or data in the past 18 months. Almost half, 2,576, came with gag orders, and almost half of those, or 1,752, had no fixed end date, by which Microsoft would no longer be sworn to secrecy. Those requests, though signed off by a judge, qualify as unconstitutional searches, the attorneys argue. It violates both the Fourth Amendment, which affords privacy, which affords people and businesses the right to know if the government searches or seizes their property, and the First Amendment, which enshrines Microsoft's right to talk to its customers and to discuss how the government conducts its investigations, subject only to restraints narrowly tailored to serve the competing government interests, they wrote. Microsoft has sued the government three other times in the past to provide more transparency on secret information requests, winning the right to disclose the number of legal requests received and pressuring the government to withdraw a national security letter an even more shadowy form of government demand that does not require approval from a judge. Its third case challenging a warrant for a foreign customer's data is still in court. Microsoft isn't the only company pushing for more transparency in times when the government comes knocking. Over 60 companies now release transparency reports since Google started the trend in 2010. Companies including Google and Twitter have gone to court to release more information in their semi-annual transparency reports. And Uber just published its first transparency report this week, revealing that it forked over data on 12 million drivers and riders to 33 regulatory agencies, including state and local law enforcement, in just the second half of 2015. Yet again, yeah, government. Now, if there's, if there's one, if there's one technology company you really, really, really don't want to piss off, Microsoft. What what did the all the government agencies do if Microsoft went right? Uh, we're no longer supporting any of your computers. <laughs> oh, by the way, we yeah. completely ended support for like Windows ninety eight fuckers. See yeah. how good your government computers run now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, Microsoft. Yeah, they've lost a lot of customers to other operating systems, but. Yeah, they're still the major yeah. company, data company in the world. And yeah, don't keep pissing them off. <laughs> well, you you and I don't keep pissing them off, but you know, the government's really, really good at it. Yeah. In in their defense, the government is really, really good at pissing off technology companies anymore. You know, it's pretty bad when somebody who understands security looks at some of the government stuff and goes, oh my god, they want to put us back in the dark ages, which they kind of do. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt they would be happy if, you know, we were back with snail mail and, you know, not posting pictures of your dinner on fucking Facebook. Mm-hmm. You know, they would yeah. be happy if those days were over. Or, you know, maybe not. I don't know. I I imagine they would be happy if those days were over because then it wouldn't be so exhausting for them to have to to, uh, bundle up all this data and shove it somewhere. 
Well, this is the really funny thing. They're trying to bring in loads of laws and loads of data requests, which is to make law enforcement easier and make it easier to find terrorists. But then if they succeed in the legislation they're trying to push, nobody will have this technology and it'll be like back to the 50s where they're going to have to have people following people around the best they can hope for is to intercept phone calls <laughs> and they won't be able to find anything out because all the people who used to know about all that kind of shit retired 20 years ago um, <laughs> yeah pretty true I mean you're right a lot of this stuff is about making policing easier but collecting these huge troves of data can't make anybody's job easier right well, it doesn't Exactly. You just make haystack keep telling bigger. them this, but yeah, what do experts know? Yeah. <laughs> See, I, I think the government doesn't actually believe that when we tell them, no, you're just making us all unsafe. You're making us all suspects. You know, you're not helping anybody. You're violating our rights. And they're like, no, no, you don't know what you're talking about. Um, yeah, actually, we do. Well, anybody who has a fucking cell phone knows more was, about computers than these an, idiots. There's an article I read. Um, I can't remember where it was, but some expert on search engines. He said, all this information the NSA's storing. He's like, if they wanted to do a targeted search, to do the targeted search on the amount of data they've got stored already, let alone the bisecond increase in gigabytes that happens. Right. They don't have enough computing power. <laughs> It'd take, well, you know, to search for one specific term, even using mm -hmm. the modern smart search engines, mm -hmm. it'd take a supercomputer weeks. So by the time they find the information they're looking for, what they're trying to stop happening's happened and done, gone, well, finished. You know, but it's ridiculous to me how many yada bytes of information are stored at the NSA data center in Utah. Yeah. Who in the fuck is going to write an algorithm that can search all that stuff? I the, mean, The easily. algorithms already exist for searching that stuff. Right, but it's I'm saying the searching it power all doesn't exist on a daily to do basis? It quickly. Yeah. yeah. They're just making the haystack bigger. Yeah. They're making the haystack bigger and they're throwing us all in it, which is ridiculous. Yellow cake. Sorry. <laughs> okay now I said we would talk about this because I'm actually kind of excited about this a scheme to encrypt the entire web is actually working Apple's move to encrypt your iPhone and WhatsApp's rollout of end-to-end -end encrypted messaging have generated plenty of privacy applause and law enforcement controversy but more quietly a small non-profit project has enacted a plan to encrypt the entire global web and it's working Earlier this week, the San Francisco-based Internet Security Research Group, ISRG, announced that the initiative it calls Let's Encrypt is coming out of beta and that it's making serious headway towards helping tens of millions of unencrypted sites around the world switch from the insecure web standard HTTP to HTTPS, which encrypts your web browsing to protect it from surveillance. Without that layer of encryption, a regular HTTP connection can be intercepted and read by anyone between a web 
visitor's browser and the site he or she is visiting, whether a hacker on the same Wi-Fi network, an internet service provider, or a government agency. Since launching less than six months ago, Let's Encrypt has helped 3.8 million websites switch to HTTPS encryption, taking a significant chunk out of the unprotected web data that's available to those eavesdroppers. Frankly, it's irresponsible how much of our information just goes flying around the web in the clear. Anyone can just pull it down and read it. That's not what people should expect from such an important network today, says Josh Ass. Poor bastard. Founder of the Internet Security Research Group, with an unfortunate last name, who officially works for Mozilla but runs Let's Encrypt for ISRG. We want to feel that when we're using the web, we have privacy. Our goal is to get to 100% encryption. Let's Encrypt has tried to make it easier for websites to switch from HTTP to HTTPS by flattening one of the biggest hurdles in the process, certificates. Let's Encrypt functions as a certificate authority. One of dozens or so organizations like Komodo, Semantic, GoDaddy, and GlobalSign that verify servers running HTTPS websites are who they claim to be. A carefully secured web connection isn't much good if you're sending private data to a spoofed site. Once verified, these authorities issue those computers a certificate they need to make HTTPS encryption work with your browser. The certificate is designed to be an unforgeable signature that's cryptographically checked by your browser so that you can be sure communications are decrypted only by the intended site and not an imposter. Unlike commercial certificate authorities, however, Let's Encrypt is free thanks to corporate sponsorship from companies including Cisco, Google, and Akamai. It's available to websites anywhere in the world from far-flung countries like Cuba and Iran that sometimes aren't served by other major certificate authorities. And it's automatically configured with a piece of code that runs on any server that wants to switch on HTTPS. This is the silver bullet that lowers the barrier to encrypted web communication, says Ross Schulman, co-director of the Cybersecurity Initiative at the New America Foundation. It brings the cost of executing a server website down to zero. All of that has led to a noticeable tectonic shift in the layer of encryption unfolding across the web. The 1.8 million certificates Less Encrypt has issued to 3.8 million websites make it the third largest certificate authority in the world now, according to AAA, <laughs> according to us, behind Komodo and Semantic. And because 85% of those sites never had HTTPS before, it's already significantly boosted the total fraction of sites that are encrypted on the web as a whole. Based on numbers Mozilla gathers from Firefox users, encrypted sites now account for more than 42% of page visits compared with 38.5% before Let's Encrypt launched. And AS says that number is growing at close to 1% a month. For the web, that's a rate of change you don't usually see. A lot of us have our eyes on that 50% mark. Let's Encrypt's free and automated HTTPS certification is designed to make it easy for individuals without technical expertise or resources to encrypt their sites. But its automation also helps big companies trying to roll out HTTPS to a large number of customers. WordPress, for instance, announced last week all sites hosted on WordPress with a custom URL will now be encrypted by default using Let's Encrypt certificates. And that automation is set to get more sophisticated in the coming months, says Peter Eckersley, a technologist with the Electronic Frontier Foundation, which has helped to create and maintain the Let's Encrypt certification software. Upcoming versions, he said, will be capable of more detailed configurations, geekier tasks like making sure the certificate properly displays its expiration date to browsers and uses the most secure encryption algorithms. We want 
to not only get a certificate and install it for you, but deal with all the behind the scenes settings to get things right and have HTTPS actually be secured, Eckerd Lee says. Just how easy is it to get a Let's Encrypt certificate hasn't always been a good thing. In January, security firm Trend Micro pointed out that the group's certificates were being used to encrypt the connections between malicious advertisements on a website the firm declined to name and on a server controlled by cybercriminals who used that encrypted connection to install a banking trojan on visitors' computers. After all, Let's Encrypt only certifies that a site, or in this case, an element of a site, is encrypted by a server from which content is loaded. Unlike some commercial certificates, it doesn't claim to check who the organization is behind that server, which is a more manual and involved process. Ask doesn't protect that all Let's Encrypt encrypted sites are benevolent. People ask if bad guys use Let's Encrypt. The answer is basically yeah, but they're also using a server, an ISP, a domain name. An HTTPS certificate is only a small part of their plan and taking it away wouldn't really change what's going on. Allowing that kind of occasional criminal use of web encryption, Ask added, is a small price to pay to help shut down the low-hanging surveillance fruit of the web one that's available to any interloper from a snoop on Starbucks Wi-Fi network to Comcast to the NSA. For any country that spies on its citizens and other countries' citizens, when you put your information out there in the clear, it makes widespread surveillance easy, says Ask. With ubiquitous HTTPS, he adds, the price of surveillance goes up. There's no free lunch anymore. Yeah, lovely. Yeah. I, I look forward to the day where I won't have to you know, every year I will have to reapply for my certificates. Uh. <laughs> we, to, we are so sarcastic. We are, this this show is so sarcasm heavy. All can you imagine if somebody translated this show into text? <laughs> <laughs> January, no. we would be just just fucked because everybody would be like, "But no, they said it was lovely." <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I think Let's Encrypt is a good thing. Yeah, yeah. you're going to have bad guys using it, but it's necessary. I, I've always said you have to, to make surveillance unenforceable. You have to make it so that it's so expensive that no one can afford to do it. That's the only way it works. It's the only way you get your privacy back. I've looked at the issue every way I possibly can, and that's the only solution I can think of. When the governments run out of money to stop spying on us, they'll stop fucking spying on us, and not until then. So the best we can do is make it harder and more expensive for them, and the best way to do that is for everybody to do it. Everybody. Why not? It's pretty much free now. It pretty much does it itself. Go to Let's Encrypt. Let's fuck with the government. Um, yeah, I'm, Especially I'm sure with I'm... our new inc proposed encryption law. Yeah. Oh, what are yeah. they going to do? They're, Bring in the law. Oh, shit. The whole web's already encrypted. <laughs> Damn. Exactly. We've, just, <laughs> we've just tried to ban the internet. Yeah, that's not going to work. Uh, please, Florida at one point last year was trying to pass a bill that was going to make cell phones illegal. I'm like, have you <laughs> fucking read this? <laughs> do you understand what you're saying? And the guy who wrote it for like two days web searches and cell phones were illegal in Florida till they fucking fixed it. I'm like, you people are idiots. If you don't understand something, maybe you shouldn't be playing around with it because you're just making it more dangerous. Yeah. That's the government. 
Yeah, bureaucrats just do what they're tasked to do and don't think about what they're actually doing. <laughs> so, yeah. Right, we need, yep. we need legislation on this. So the bureaucrats go and write it and then it makes no sense in the real world whatsoever. Because <laughs> they just did what they were asked to do. They don't think about yep. the consequences. They don't look at what exists already. Well, they do, but only in a very limited way. Because, yep. yeah, this is why you end up with laws that overlap hugely. Because, mm -hmm. yeah, because two separate groups of bureaucrats have gone and written the same shit. <laughs> yep, they have. And neither one of them understands it, and they don't want to talk to people who actually know about it, which is the unfortunate part. Uh, Michael Morris's Colorton dropped his car tracking bill in Illinois. His reason for it, other than evil Prius owners, people are getting better gas mileage. Sounds like what happens when you listen to the government quit smoking. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's the thing. In a way, I think most civil libertarians agree um, taking taxes from the government starves the beast. And if the beast were like most people, it would have to live within its means, but it's not. And until you get a, a real, until you hit the point where everyone stops pretending that the system works anymore, this is how it's going to be. Um, we're going to find ways to sidestep their amazing tax bills. We're going to find ways to ensure our privacy and they're going to try to find ways to stop it that's their job our job is to you know force them to stop i guess more or less does that make any sense at all because i i feel like it didn't uh, nah, it was okay <laughs> <laughs> i don't know god did we do every story already you you haven't done the CIA data mining thing. Do we want to hear about that? Well, I already know about it. It's whether, <laughs> whether you think the listeners want to hear about it. Um, well, the CIA is investing in firms that mine your tweets and Instagram photos. Does anybody care? Uh, soft robots that can grasp delicate objects, computer algorithms designed to spot an insider threat, and artificial intelligence that will sift through large data sets. Those are just a few of the technologies being pursued by companies that, with an investment from QTEL, the CIA's venture capital firm. There's nothing more terrifying than the fact that the CIA has its own venture capital firm, according to a document obtained by The Intercept. Yet among the 38 previously undisclosed companies receiving QTEL funding, the research focus that stands out is social media mining and surveillance. The portfolio document lists several companies pursuing work in this area, including Dalimer, Gofita, Pather, and Transvoyant. In QTEL's investment process, um, those four firms, which provide unique tools to mine data from platforms such as Twitter, presented at a February CEO summit in San Jose, sponsored by the fund, along with other InQtel portfolio companies. The investments appear to reflect the CIA's increasing focus on monitoring social media. 
Last September, David Cohen, the CIA's second highest ranking official, spoke at length at Cornell University about a litany of challenges stemming from the new media landscape. The Islamic State's sophisticated use of Twitter and other social media platforms is a perfect example of malign use of these technologies, he said. Social media also offers a wealth of potential intelligence. Cohen noted that Twitter messages from the Islamic State, sometimes called ISIL or Daesh, have provided useful information. ISIL's tweets and other social media messages publicizing their activities often produce information uh, that, especially in the aggregate, provides real intelligence value, he said. The last round of InQtel investments comes as the CIA has revamped its outreach to Silicon Valley, establishing a new wing. The Directorate of Digital Innovation, which is tasked with developing and deploying cutting-edge solutions by directly engaging with the private sector. The Directorate is working closely with InQtel to integrate the latest technology into agency-wide intelligence capabilities. Dalmer directly licenses a stream of data from Twitter to visualize and quickly spot trends on behalf of law enforcement agencies and hedge funds, among other clients. GoFedia collects geotagged social media messages to monitor breaking news events in real time. GoFedia specializes in collecting geotagged social media messages from platforms such as Twitter and Instagram to monitor breaking news events in real time. The company, which counts dozens of local law enforcement agencies as clients, markets its ability to track activist protests on behalf of both corporate interests and police departments. Pather mines social media to determine networks of association. Pather's product, Denami, is used by the Federal Bureau of Investigation to mine Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and other social media to determine networks of association, centers of influence, and potential signs of radicalization, according to an investigation by Reveal. Transvoyant analyzes data points to deliver insights and predictions about global events. Transvoyant, founded by former Lockheed Martin Vice President Dennis Grossclose, provides a similar service by analyzing multiple data points for so-called decision makers. The firm touts its ability to monitor Twitter to spot gang incidents and threats to journalists. A team from Transvoyant has worked with the U.S. military in Afghanistan to integrate data from satellites, radar, reconnaissance aircraft, and drones. Dalimer, Gofidia, and Pather did not respond to repeated messages and request for comment. Heather Crotty, Director of Marketing at Transvoyant, acknowledged an investment from InQtel, but could not discuss the scope of its relationship. InQtel does not disclose the financial terms of its investments, Crotty said. <sighs> God, this goes on and on forever. Um, but here's, if you're actually interested in this, I'm going to grab the link and stick it in the chat because it's pretty interesting if you want to look at how they're monitoring you on social media well oh. the, the the list of <laughs> companies yeah yeah that's the, one, the interesting the one, part the one that i'm i'm looking at and it 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 sounds wrong just from its name soft <laughs> robotics it's like <laughs> Really, that doesn't sound, you know. I know. It's like that doesn't sound good. No, I know, and it's ridiculous. And the worst part of this, the worst part of this is, 
I know before Edward Snowden stood up and said, this is what's going on. No one would have believed it. Now, um, it was just last week. Remember I, I, I shared that story with you about the CIA investing in like skin skincare central. Products. Yeah. Yeah. Why is the CIA investing in fucking skincare? Well, they want to use it to collect biological samples. How the fuck are you going to do that? And now I don't even want to know, but uh, I'm really happy that I'm the kind of person that makes a lot of their skincare products now. I really am. I'm the company very... sound anything like what you would consider that would you would even possibly think would be data mining. Um... Uh, Epic Solutions, Gofidia. Yeah, but Spaceflight Industries. Yeah. Tipper. Um, Threadstream. Threadstream okay. sounds yeah, like you know, that. You got Parallel Wireless in Orion Labs, Orbital Insight. I would have thought that these fuckers were talking about glasses or something. Um, Lookout. I mean, there's there's so many headspin. Who the fuck would think headspin is spying? On, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. You know, and like best, I said, best I, name I on the list though, Bear Tooth. <laughs> yeah, Aquafi. Um, but sounds yeah. like a water company. Yeah, there's there's a lot of this shit that somebody would go, oh okay. Yeah. I don't know why they're looking at my shit, but who cares? You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. That's why Ghostery is the best thing that was ever invented for web browsing. I love Ghostery. Because Ghostery, if you switch Ghostery off and then you go to a website, this giant list will populate. And it'll be, like, one of the worst ones is Forbes. It'll be like half a page long of all the things that are tracking you. And if you click on them, it gives you a description of what they're tracking, what they do with the information. The best part about Ghoster is it makes you disappear to these search engines. That is the best part of it. And it's, I love Ghostery. Ghostery is the best thing I've ever downloaded. It makes me feel a little bit safer and a little secure. And it makes me happy that I can keep an eye on what's keeping an eye on me. Yeah. On, the, on the plus side, there's so many volcanoes going off right now, Jan. You know, maybe the whole ring of fire is just going to go and that'll solve the fucking problem. I think I, I think one way to stop this problem is let's build a wall, but let's build it around Washington, D.C. and keep the criminal politicians and bastards in there and not let them out. Well, you have to do it when, when most, of the, most of the government's actually there. Yeah. Well, you just need to pick an event where you know they're all going to be in attendance so they can claim the expenses. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know. Then you'll get a load I, of the lobbyists at the same time, so yeah, double win. <laughs> Would kind of be a win. I don't know. I don't think there's any solution except um, let's encrypt as much stuff as we can. Let's make stuff as hard as possible for the government because no one ever said that if there was a government that governing people as a job was supposed to be easy. 
if they're gonna take and steal our money, let's make them fucking work for it. That's my new plan. That's how I'm gonna deal with the government from now on. You're gonna steal my money? Okay, you're gonna work for every bit of information you get about me and every bit of my tax money that you take from me. And you're gonna work damn hard. Seems like the only fair solution. And I like it. That's what I'm gonna go with from now on, I think. And I guess that's about it for tonight. Um, Muppets and Advert? Muppets and Advert. Why do we always come here? I guess we'll never know. It's like a kind of torture to have to watch the show. Why spend hours searching for in-stock ammunition when you can use AmmoSeek.com? AmmoSeek.com is a search engine for finding ammunition, reloading components, magazines, and guns for more than 300 calibers at more than 60 online retailers. AmmoSeek.com only shows items that are in stock and readily available for shipping. You can search by caliber, grains, manufacturer, and more. The results are displayed by cost per round, so you are able to get the very best pricing on your ammunition of choice. Find ammunition at the best prices, fast. Amoseek.com. Thanks for listening, guys, and we'll see you next week. Have a good week.